Blessed Cura Badano. Pray for oh, us. Pray for us. Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Is it her feast today? No, I just I used her in my homily. So cool. Ooh, do tell. What was your homily uh, about? Um, the homily was about suffering, and like, in a sense that we just don't have. I don't. I don't even know if there was like a driving point, but um, like we all suffer, and we're all going to be called to suffer. In this Ooh, life, you don't think don't... you got to suffer? Yeah. That's how I said it. Um, <laughs> and that we don't need to go looking for crosses. Uh, Jesus says, take up your cross. He doesn't say, go find a cross. And so um, you just, you know, like in a sense, I wish I could, especially the, I don't know, especially the college students. I love them. And they were like, I was just kind of reflecting on like, I wish I could tell them it's just going to be like super easy. And, like everything's always going to be like laid out for them and they're going to be protected always. And that's just not the case, you know? Um, so I talked about that and then I ended it by talking about Chiara Badano because we always like, we go to the saints. That's who we look to. So if you wanted to, somebody said that you wanted to be good at basketball at some point, you're going to have to like watch film on Michael Jordan probably, or, if someone wants to be really good at college football, you got to watch some Illini games, <laughs> or, um, etc. Dang, dude, that was good. That was really yep. good. Did yep. you say and that then, in the homily? No, no, uh-huh. I didn't have the guts to. Dang it, I will. <laughs> I still have the eight p.m. Nice uh, tonight, so I will. And then, but then Kiara Benani, I just told her story briefly, and then I ended it. Her line, I love this line of hers, but she was super sick. She was almost at the point of death. And she said that she has nothing left, but she still has her heart. And with that, she can love. Mm. And I was like, that's it. And she's still doing that from her place in heaven because she was willing to do that on earth. Like she still has the capacity and freedom to do it in heaven. Mic drop. Hey, man, dude, that's pretty good. Mm. Deny yourself. Take up thy cross, brothers and sisters. And mothers and fathers. Mm-hmm. Hey, I did have. I have. Um, well, one is a movement of the Holy Spirit that I just want to say. Are you going to talk the about Chiara What's that? You going to talk about Chiara Badana? No, I wish I knew more about her, man. Samesies, the best. I don't know too much. Is that she's the one awesome. where, as her hair is falling out because of the cancer, she's pulling out clumps of hair and saying, "This is for you, Jesus." Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's the one. That's yeah, which your... is a big deal. It's a big deal for a lady to lose all their hair, man. Yeah. So I'm told. Anywho. Dude, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, okay, well, first one is uh, Lauren Schwormer. Schwormer? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to say her last name. Schwormer? Is that right? Schwimmy? Schwanny? Schwimmy? Schwimmy? Swanson? Yeah. Is Swanson? Swanson? Samsonite. Charmer. Charmer. 
she came up and visited uh, for family weekend, and I got to eat lunch with her, which is a blast. She is a tornado just coming in when you're like, whoa, that was intense. But I was talking to her, and um, we were talking a little bit about the podcast. And people who ask me about the podcast just time and time again, especially now more than ever, like I just tell them that I have no idea who listens. I have absolutely no clue who is hearing my voice right now, mm. besides a couple of the emails that we get. But even if nobody listened, like this is a big grace for me to be able to talk to you guys and Same. I'm very grateful that we do the podcast, especially now more than ever. Um, yeah. So just wanted to voice that gratitude here. And that's, that's, I really believe that if nobody listened, I, I would still ask to do this often. Oh, yeah. Um, so thanks for the podcast this is a great gift. Um, the second thing is I had this idea as well is I'm running the marathon, which you talked a little bit about last week. And I wanted to see if y'all would be open to this idea. Well, I guess more Connor, uh, cause you run the, in the interwebs mm-hmm. for us. I mean, I think that's what you do. Um, but I'm supposed to fundraise money for the sisters and I'm supposed to fundraise like people are I'm supposed to ask people to to support me as a runner on this team for the mission of Our Lady of the Angels. And I was wondering if like we could just put that link on the website and if listeners wanted to donate money, then they could donate to my page. They could they could support me, which would all the money would go straight to the sisters. Hmm. And just wanted to put that out there and see if if people wanted to support me, they're more than welcome to. Would y'all be open to that? Okay, what I, what, I, what I just heard was, man, the gosh, the podcast is such a great grace. Also, a convenient vehicle for me to promote myself and my running. If it weren't for the <laughs> sisters, uh, it's no, I think that's a good idea, Mike. I was just kidding. Would that be okay? Twenty mm-hmm. percent. Yeah, we should probably do a rake of twenty-five or thirty percent, even. <laughs> okay, look, I'm gonna have to talk to Sister Steph about it because she's the one, you know, and she's pretty scary and like pretty tough. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and I'm mm-hmm. just assuming she drives a hard bargain, you know, so I would, I can promise one and a half percent. You cannot <laughs> promise that. Yeah, that's a good point, dude. <laughs> uh, that's what I'll shoot for. I can promise to shoot for it. I can promise to shoot for one and a half percent, which knowing the volume of listeners that we have, which I am very aware of how many people and who listens. I mean, would that, would that be a million? <laughs> I was thinking a little bit north of that, even that maybe one point five. This is some vintage million. Three Dogs Actually, North. We used to do this stuff all the time. Talk about how yeah. great, how many people listen and how valuable any advertising time would be on this. We yeah, did dude, get, see, best. We did find <laughs> out that twelve people use the TDN fifteen code. TDN fifteen. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that does no, give I us vote. a little bit of a litmus test. As to how many people listen, I vote yes. Is that okay? Yeah, only because the sisters are involved. Right, same. I'll put it in the show notes, dude. Same, same. Look, sister Steph wasn't such an incredible human being, and yeah, just would keep you honest. I would just assume you're involved in some type of pyramid scheme. (laughs) But (laughs) what? No, I trust sister Steph, so I vote yes. Do you remember in the office when? 
doesn't Michael get involved in some pyramid scheme and Jim has to explain <laughs> it to him? <laughs> and he does the marks on the on the paper to show like you sell to these people and these people sell to these people and then he draws <laughs> like triangle around it all. Yeah. Oh god. Like, how are you not kidding? <laughs> yeah. One hundred percent. Okay, this is my only this is my only condition is that if you do support, um, please put your name. Don't do it anonymously because I'm gonna laminate I'm gonna print off all of the benefactors and laminate it and run with it in my hand and pray for people specifically at certain miles. Mm. Um, and mm. it is going to be kind of dependent on how much you you donate. So I, the greater the suffering is going to be like further on in the race. So I'm going to be praying for everybody, but I, I want to have names and faces. Um, well, I guess names in this case that it's actually super motivating when you're running for somebody. It helps me big time. So if you will, don't, donate anonymously but please leave your name so that i can pray for you by name that would be super awesome that way i like i know exactly who i'm running for at that that moment in time and um yeah i'll be praying for you by name so that that's my only caveat all right sounds good dude yeah thanks i appreciate that i know the sisters will be very grateful anything that we i get none of that money by the way if, if there was any lack of of if there's any confusion there so Nor it all we. goes right to the sisters yeah and maybe put up a youtube video of like sister alicia or something like that okay wow yeah this is a lot of telling me what to do that's well, the look, part i like about it the least hey connor why don't you just could you just like write up just like a short history about <laughs> ola as well <laughs> kind of like post it up there that'd be great <laughs> uh, like i'm gonna send somebody down they're gonna do a photo shoot of the mission they're gonna do a photo shoot of me i'll send you the photos <laughs> you put them up okay and then if you'll write the page and a half article on it that'd be great you're gonna be a great pastor mike one day thanks dude mm-hmm. wow a lot of it's just telling people what to do. Speaking of cash money, I mean, we also haven't had a treasurer's report in a long time from Three Dogs North. Mm. How are we doing? Uh, Zero dollars. Okay. No money. No money. Ah, right. Shoot. Yep. Really Gosh. thought we would have something there, but None. guess That's not. Like zero. Yep. Okay. <laughs> it's not <laughs> negative, so. Gosh. We have That's more, right. more money than people who are in debt, but not any more than people like small, <laughs> small children or or others that can't work or earn money. We don't have anything. <laughs> okay, hey, um, this weekend is family weekend up here. Mm. And it was awesome. It was beautiful weather up here. And I don't know if y'all remember, because it's been so long since you've been in seminary, uh, you in particular, Rob. Probably Rob. Uh, yeah, yeah. But... Dude, family weekend is so cool, especially when you have beautiful weather like this, because the campus was popping, man. It was just on full display. Like, the Lord just kind of revealed the beauty of this place. And then, like, there were certain portions where I was just sitting around this weekend hearing confessions, and um, they did this little deal before the big family mass on Saturday. They asked a couple of the priests to sit in the Therese Garden. And to just make yourself available if family wanted to go to confession before mass, which I, I thought was a really great idea. Um, so just sitting there and like that beautiful fountain is there in the garden and like just droves of little kids are running by and families taking photos in front of Therese. And it was like just a, such a beautiful life, 
Thanksgiving weekend. And like a lot of the guys from Atlanta, we got to spend time together. And me and Father Michael Bremer and another Atlanta priest celebrated Mass for the Atlanta seminarians and their family and got to say like, I went through this whole process and I, I'm here as a priest and got to preach to them. And uh, it was so awesome and like really a breath of fresh air um, to be up here and to see, yeah, just like the life and the beauty of Catholicism at its best. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think I'd seen it in a long time. We're like, dude, what we have going is such a beautiful thing. Um and it also made me kind of mourn as well. Like, we are idiots because because of our own sin. Like, in some way, we have cast shadows on the unbelievable beauty that God has given us in the church. And so, I guess it was just kind of like to feel both of those things at the same time. Like, this is these families are having such a great time and relishing in the vocations and like a beautiful institution in the church here. This is what it could be. And yet we have shot ourselves in the foot, man. And we've shot everyone else in the foot. It's like now a lot of people aren't going to be able to experience the beauty of, of what Catholicism really is, is meant to be uh, and can be. So it was a great rejoicing, but also like a little bit of mourning there. Um, Our sins have consequences Mm. and the church has such amazing things to offer people um unbelievable experiences of life of singing of praying and like because of some mondo sins of some buffoons um it bars people from that from being open to to actually experiencing those things and that's a great sadness man uh yeah you know um father nick blaha friend of the podcast and friend of myself and i think you guys He's got this thing he says to his students as a quote from a St. Augustine homily. And the only part I can remember right now in Latin was, I think, nos, nos sumus tempora, we are the times. It's from some homily where he's talking about how, you know, the Roman Empire is falling and there's all this bad stuff happening. He's like, people say these are difficult times, trying times, but let our lives be good and the times will be good. Uh, such as we are, such are the times. We are the times, basically. Um, yeah, I agree with you, Mike. There, are, Like what you just described of the beautiful day and the beautiful architecture and the beautiful families and the running around and the uh, theological order of it all. Like, hey, look, confessions before Mass so that you can receive reconciliation and then the fullness of grace in the Eucharist and like all these things that I've kind of fell in love with when I when I discovered them and learned about them, and um, it does make you more. It makes you fall in love. It makes you want to give your life uh, away and be generous, and your whole ma- imagination is penetrated by this beauty and this order and this truth. But it also makes you more aware of this stupid, ugly, dumb, bad stuff. Where you're like, you see, especially when it's Catholicism gone bad, like this counterfeit, um, lifeless kind that has been tried so many times and in so many places. Um, but I guess you can look at one or the other. I mean, you can, you could look at all of this stuff happening and 
look, this is nothing new. I mean, I there is newness to it in its in its badness, um, and it seems pretty relentless right now. Uh, there's there's a lot to be disappointed in right now, um, a lot to be scandalized by. But I got to say that I've always been aware since I fell in love with this vocation, with Christ himself, with the church, I've always been aware of how (laughs) much of buffoons we are. Like you said, uh, how we just keep the best things secret and hang out the worst parts and um, we don't do it right. It's so simple. It's like right there in the book, you know, this is how, this is how it's done. And priests don't do the rubrics. They make up their own words in the mass. You know, we use the confessional as a broom closet and we never talk about repentance and reconciliation. And we just do the I'm okay, you're okay stuff that doesn't compel anybody and it doesn't actually solve anybody's problems. Um, just makes the church more and more irrelevant until it doesn't matter what we're doing because nobody's listening anyway. And then you've got people like the you know guys in the seminary ourselves and our confreres who who discovered a depth to the sacraments and to the eucharist and to the scriptures and all the rest of it and we're like yeah but guys there's a lot here you know why this stuff set us free you know like the moral teaching of the church the orthodox praxis of of um what the church teaches on difficult topics like sexuality and all the rest of it that we always want to attenuate and apologize for. That stuff's actually good. Like John Paul II in Theology of the Body speaks exactly to the heart of the disorder and the anxiety and the existential angst of our generation and why everybody feels so lonely and desperate for connection. Uh, it's because we're misusing this gift. And, and then, you know, everybody seems to be saying, yeah, that's, you know, we should not talk so much about the pelvic issues and all this pejorative language. And you feel like you're bumping your head up against the wall. Um, like, no, 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 that's not it. Um, but at the same time, you do things right. We are the times, you know, like you can, where God has planted you, you can bloom and bear fruit by doing it the right way, by preaching good homilies, by celebrating the Mass properly, um, by offering confession. It will be a challenge, but the challenges are nothing new. St. Augustine had them, St. John Vianney, the, you know, France and that whole travesty. People getting their heads chopped off just a few years prior. You know, it's like there are always these times where you could say, these are the worst times. But um, you get these glimpses. I feel like the Spirit... You know, like this family weekend sounds like. I was thinking of the time when I drove away from IPF. I kind of preached about it today. Driving home from IPF after this summer that totally transformed me where I was like, yes, I'm sure I want to be a priest now because I know I can be happy because I've, mm-hmm. I've seen how close Christ is to me and how much he's on my side. And I was pumping Sufjan Stevens in my truck as I was driving across the Missouri River and into the bluffs of Iowa, back to Illinois, back to the seminary, back to the rest of my life. Gosh, this just sounds like a good spot to be in. Yeah, and I was just like, God is so real, you know. He's just everywhere, and he's and he's everything, and the future is full of hope and brightness. Um, and you get those little glimpses, and they get you through the the times where you're you're just putting your head down and getting through it. 
No, I mean, yeah, it was it was like that. It, <laughs> this image just came to mind. I hope it makes sense because it makes perfect sense to me. But in the movie The Sandlot, you know the moment where um, Smalls he comes to the realization where he's like, I don't know, it said something like Baby Ruthie, <laughs> ba- Baby <laughs> Ruthie, and they're some, like, some Baby girl had Ru- signed it. Yeah. And so he has this realization of like that ball means everything. And then also like the pain of realizing he hit that ball over the fence. And like it's both the beauty and then the agony because like now that ball is on the other side of the fence. And like so it kind of hurts so bad because, you know, it's so beautiful and like so close. And there was like no doubt in the family weekend, like the Lord is so close and it hurts so bad because, like, yeah, in a lot of ways, this sin has closed people's eyes and hardened their hearts to being open to seeing the beauty of this. And, like, Christ is still there, and this is still his church, and the life of the Holy Spirit was so close. And, like, the extra agony was there. It just it was just a sharp realization of, like, dang, our sin has consequence, and people aren't going to be able to know this. Because we've sinned and it stinks. Um, yeah. He's like, well, Babe Ruth. Yeah. So it stinks, but you're right. I mean, we gotta, we are the times. Yeah. Did that image make sense? I think I liked so. It. Yeah. Yeah. The, I just read the, uh, I didn't read all of it. I got upon. I've been reading first things a lot recently, and you radical. What's that? You're a radical. I am. I know it. I'm okay with it more and more. <laughs> um, but they, uh, it's some link on some article. Yeah, I'm killing this one. Um, but anyway, <laughs> it uh, it was back to maybe it was the year of the priest that Pope Benedict was uh, Pope for. And he gave a homily on St. John Vianney. And it's just, I don't know, it's just really, really beautiful. But he talked about that exact same thing we're talking about. is like, in no way was ours, France, like this special place when he went there at all. Um, like all the challenges that he had. And um, yeah, I mean, it was just same way in like a much, in a totally different way. I've thought of sometimes... Of like, I've talked about John Wooden on the podcast, right? Yeah, the coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the coach had a big influence on me, like reading him growing up. But he, you know, he went to UCLA as this like kind of young nobody coach, and I don't know the way he tells it, they just had like very, very basic accommodations. And as they started winning, like years down the road, you know, they built like all this state of the art stuff, practice facilities, and all this stuff. But he always told himself he was like, if I can't win basketball games with like what's in front of me, then there's no reason to like have all that other stuff. You know, not that it's bad. Um, so we are the times. Yeah. I think of, uh, John Vianney, like Diary of a country priest or the movie <laughs> Calvary. Mm-hmm. Have we talked about the movie Calvary on the podcast? Have you guys seen it? I have seen it. I love that movie. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorite. Legitimately, it's so good. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast or not. I just rewatched it recently. 
Um, again, on Father Blaha's recommendation, he brought up this quote from the end of the movie where he... Uh, it's an old movie. I can spoil it, right, for listeners? Anyway, spoiler alert. Yeah, I, I think so. <clears throat> you know how he gets threatened to be killed by this guy who had been raped by a priest when he was seven years old. Um, not because he's a bad priest, but because he's a good priest. It's kind of an act of revenge. Um, he had his innocence stolen. I don't know if it's even that even that logical. It's just a, this guy acting out. He terrorizes him all. He gives him a week, but he meanwhile makes his life a living hell. He burns down his church, kills his dog. And there's that scene on the beach where he's got the gun and the priest has, you know, willingly gone in his cassock and everything down to the beach, knowing that this was going to be his death, probably. Tries to talk the guy out of it, but the guy says, you know, did it upset you, the dog? And do you guys remember this line? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He's like, yeah, it did. Oh, did you cry? That's nice. It's, did you cry? Yeah, I cried. Oh, did you cry when uh, you read about what all your fellow priests did to all those children all those years? said, no, I didn't. And um, to me, that's that's the crux of it, dude, is that we... This is why all this stuff rings so hollow, these kind of statements defending and trying to move on and all the rest of it, is that it feels like the mystery of the, the cross and Jesus suffering with us and the compassion of Christ and what the church's vocation really is to be the, you know, like the extension of the incarnation of Christ. It's not, it's not this corporation. It is corporate in the sense that it's a body. Um, and it is institutional in the sense that it's visible, you know, and it has to be organized. Um, but the church is the suffering Christ. And these, there are these people who suffered so grievously they had something stolen from them that can never be paid back at the hands of men who supposedly were another Christ. And the crime is so grievous that it's like, it cannot just be something we read about in the newspaper or we say like, oh, well, that was the old days and this is why that happened and we've done so much to protect people now and we're a model agency of, you know, I, I would... Defy anyone to have a safer environment than our parishes or our schools and blah, blah, blah. Good. I hope that stuff is true, but that's not why people are upset. Um, it's not why this is such a dragon for us. It's because we haven't cried enough about it. Um, yeah, it's like if somebody came to you in the parish and said, Father, my child was just murdered my child was just abducted and murdered and you said oh that's so terrible but um you know we are really safe here and uh we are you know children hardly ever get murdered in our church um and we have to get on with life you know you're you have to be a lector on sunday so you know like we need to we need to get over this you know and you're like it's just, that would be the worst pastor in the history of the universe. And that's kind of how I feel like we've approached this whole thing. Is like, let's get this over with as soon as possible. Because who wants to, who wants to deal with this? 
You know, what pastor wakes up in the morning and is like, boy, I hope I get a really tragic thing that happened in my parish today that I have to deal with. And the other thing is that you feel so helpless because there's nothing you really can do in situations like that. You know, somebody dies tragically, a father of young children and a young wife like has a heart attack or or something and you have to go anoint him and then he's dead and then you have to do the funeral and all the rest of it. And then there, there are those people in your parish and you're their priest and they look to you for hope and stuff. And you're like, I can't give you hope. I can't explain this. I don't know how to deal with this or make it better, but that's what you do. Um, you don't pretend like it's not there or you don't hope that it goes away. And uh, that's where I feel like we as priests can do a, a lot better um, to be there for people and actually actually feel with the church here. You know. So I want you to clarify if that's okay. Like, yeah. are you saying that that is not present? And like, what are you saying is not present? I say like, like when, if you, when you if say, you just did, if you didn't go to church and if you just read what was going on in the newspapers um, or on Twitter, would you feel like the church really gets it and is like really putting victims first and really, uh, really sad? Not that their institution has been so tarnished, but that this happened to children, that their innocence was lost and they were raped by priests. Do you get the impression that the church is really repentant and ashamed and sorry? Or more that the church is trying to cover, cover itself and make sure that it doesn't get sued to oblivion? I don't know. This is this is tough. This is all we've ever talked about this season, so <laughs> we don't have to keep talking about it. But I just, I feel pretty strongly. Like when you look at that movie Calvary and those people in that town and that priest, I'm like, this is what priesthood looks like now. Maybe it always did, but it looks like nobody. You're living in a society that used to be totally captivated by Catholicism. That it was in every corner of everyone's life, every every mantle had a saint and a picture of Christ and a picture of the Pope and whatever. You know, Ireland was the most Catholic country in Europe. And now it's just like the church is this joke. And nothing has come in to replace the church as like a center of gravity to hold people together or to give people direction in their life and a place where they can be themselves, be totally honest and be loved. Um you know, a place where they can celebrate life and be thankful to God. They, they don't have anything that's come in to fill that vacuum, but the priest is still there. The church is still there. Um, and there are still people who will suffer and die for them, namely that priest in that movie. And like, that's got to be us, where it doesn't make any sense. Like, it does, he doesn't, you don't get the impression. In fact, they make it pretty clear at the end of the movie that everybody's life just goes on as if nothing happened after he dies, you know, but his daughter goes to forgive the guy in the jail. And you, like, that's the work of grace is this, this slow, invisible, um, seemingly futile thing. You know, it doesn't really make that big of a difference. It doesn't change the world, so to speak, like, the, you know, the movie, the son of God. It's just this, it's this thing that's like the only thing worth worth doing um 
is being faithful like that, being in Christ. I don't know. Because we're, we're in a time now where it's like, I was just at a retreat yesterday. It was all about Renew My Church. And uh, it's good, you know, like pump, getting everybody pumped up. Like we need to make our parishes alive again and get people, you know, excited. And, you know, why, why are we boring people with the gospel and all the rest of it? And we need to play more and, and have, have more fun and, and boldly ask God and hold each other's hands and promise, you know, like Easter is coming and the resurrection and rah, rah, rah. And I'm just like, yeah, Holy Saturday wasn't a bunch of people holding each other's hands, telling them, telling each other, like, Easter's coming tomorrow, don't worry. It was like people in total despair and like darkness that this dream of Christ and the kingdom of God had been dashed upon the rock of sin and the devil and all the rest of it. Um, yet it did come. It was this you catastrophe, this, this thing that surprised everybody out of nowhere. Um, and that's, that's what hope is. It's not optimism. It's not like, oh, this will be fine. You know, it's like confronting the depth of that. And I didn't read the whole Pennsylvania report, nor do I want to, uh, it's like looking at evil is not exactly productive and it can be kind of transfixing and distracting, but that it happened. And those, those, there were real people that that happened to, I don't know. I haven't cried about it. Have you? Did I lose you guys? No, I'm here. Here. Yeah, man. I, I guess it's just like you're kind of knocking at the door of like almost, I don't know what it is, like a, yeah, I don't want to like abstract this, but it's kind of like an ecclesiology or so, like a spiritual ecclesiology or something because it's like, I, I get what you're saying and that's like real and no, I have not like, I mean, like actually shed tears but i mean i don't know again like i i don't put too much like i guess that question like it's powerful in in the movie but like i don't i I, you know i just try not to like if i haven't actually like physically shed tears think too much on that of of certain things of like how i process that stuff and how the emotions come into it and Mm -hmm. and everything and kind of like weigh it as how seriously i take it you know um, so I kind of like reject the question maybe in that aspect. Right. Um, but I, I just like, it's a hard thing to, um, maybe wrestle with like that and, and like you, I mean, you just, you have to hold like, um, I don't know. I mean, uh, kind of like what Mike was saying, like there's these pockets and glimpses of like what the church should be and what Catholic life lived should look like. And we get to experience that. And yeah, it is mixed in with this like very bad stuff um, that I've read about in the news. And like, I'll be honest, like have not experienced ever firsthand. Um, But I don't know. I'm just again, like the parish here that I'm, I'm at that I'm assigned to it's like, it's a blessing that it's like growing. And I've been just like, there's a lot of people here, like really trying to live as disciples. And it doesn't mean that some people like um, people suffer with like very real, very real things. Everybody does. Um, but 
I mean, how that all mixes in together. Again, that's what I want to meant, but like I, I'm just trying to kind of name what we're talking about. Maybe if it's like, like a spiritual ecclesiology or su- or something like to have all that mixed in and like you know call it call it the church is um, it's a it's a it's a big thing you're talking about. Yeah, and I guess it's uh, the ecclesiology part of it is the Saint Paul, the body of mystical body of Christ stuff that. When one member of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. Um, yeah, true, true. And that's, I guess, when you really... I, I, I'm not a big crier either, so I don't think that that's necessarily the only evidence that you've really let this thing impact you or that you've mm-hmm. really let it in and suffered with those who... And some of it's it's not a fair question because if you've never met a person, if it's just a name in a newspaper or an anonymous person in a grand jury report, then... Of course, you're not going to feel it the same way you'd feel your dog getting killed. Um, but nevertheless, it is it is a fact that we're all related to each other more closely than the cells of my body are related to each other. And um, that's why it feels like... And the, ch- the church has done a lot to reach out to victims. I know that to be true. I know it also to be true that some victims have felt ignored by the church, even till, you know, recent times or, um, felt like it's like you got your money or, you know, here's your, here's your hat, what you hurry. Um, I mean, what's amazing to me is that people still want something from the church after they've, after they've had this experience within it from its representatives, you know, um, yeah, the fact that we still have anybody coming is crazy. The fact that I wanted to become a priest, I mean, it's just the Holy Spirit is real. Uh, and sometimes this can serve as kind of a catalyst. Like, I want to I want to go do this because I've, I've experienced what kind of grace is available through the priesthood and through the sacraments and the church. So I want to do it right. And I don't, you know, people have been cheated out of it. So I feel... Like I wanted, I want to do that out of love. I want to give that to people. So good can come out of evil, but at the same time, I don't know. It's the same reason I don't like sickly sweet kind of saccharine sentimental stuff. Um, like the 15th station, the cross, the stations of the cross only make sense in the context of the resurrection and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, that's true, but it doesn't mean that people didn't experience the crucifixion as a truly um a truly desolate thing, you know? And in order to in some ways like for the resurrection to make sense, you have to have that utter death, you know, total annihilation so that the so that the rebirth can be complete. Um, so yeah, I hear what you're saying, Rob, I think, I don't know how to explain myself better than that, except that I'm glad, I'm super glad that you were first parishes that experience that you have a lot of people like just hungry to be disciples and things like that. And I, I certainly had a share of that myself, but I don't know. I feel in the city, it can be a little bit, uh, it's not just spiritual, it's also just human and economic uh, difficulty and um, 
shift in populations and there's just a lot of sad churches in Chicago where that used to be really vibrant and have a lot of older folks that are like, Oh my gosh, midnight mass. It used to be packed in here with little kids and all the families were big and we had a whole choir and we'd sing all the Christmas carols and up in the choir loft and church was full and the school had nuns in it and blah, blah, blah. And now, you know, now you look at these parishes and it's like, they're too expensive to tear down. So they're just like broken windows and asbestos everywhere. And you're like, this is the church, you know? Um, so maybe that's where I'm coming from a little bit that, uh, it does feel like, let me just carve off a little corner here where I, where I can plant a garden and, uh, sow some seeds and, and see what God does. Um, because it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like this spiritual powerhouse all the time. I feel like I'm a downer today. I don't know why. I felt pretty good this morning. <laughs> I'm sorry. <clears throat> don't be sorry. Yeah. I just, yeah. Say anything else you want to. Um, I was talking to I had uh, some family friends from Atlanta. Actually, you may have stayed with them, Rob, at their house uh, when you okay. came to my ordination. Yeah. yeah, they had a wedding up I in never Milwaukee. Met them. Yeah, mm-hmm. so they went to St. Gilbert's and Gray's Lake today to see Father Christian uh, because he wrote him a thank you letter and he asked him to come up. Like, hey, if you're ever in town come to the parish and that's awesome yeah so they saw him and then they came to campus and picked me up and um got to show him around a little bit but then we went and ate at luke's luke's this classic dude i love taking people there they were in like their sunday best using this like pretty bright yellow dress and it's just like a bunch of chicago folks and like slacks and dirty t-shirts like we're eating greasy food and then you got these like church <laughs> church dresses and the guys in a button down tie and I'm in my collar. We we did not fit in. I'll tell you that. Uh, but it was delicious. Th- that's the real deal Chicago experience, man. Luke's. I I love I love that place. That was the first time. Remember when we went up there, mm-hmm. Connor. Yep. And uh, back when it was I the never, old Luke's. That was the old Luke's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before it got beautified and uh changed the locations and i had never been to chicago before and had never certainly didn't know what a chicago dog was and i asked the guy hey um like what comes on a chicago dog and he just looks at me he's like what do you mean like it's a chicago dog and i'm like <laughs> no, no no i know but like what actually comes on it he's like what do you it's just chicago dog do you want it or like well, i don't know what what are you asking like it's just a chicago dog I'm like no i get that but what comes on it and he just kept repeating, it's a Chicago dog. Like, everybody knows what a Chicago <laughs> dog is. And then I realized, this is it. This is Chicago right mm-hmm. here. Uh, so I took him to that place, but was talking to them just about what it's like being a priest and being back up at school. And um, it was good to talk to him about it because I think it helped me to articulate one of the graces that I had shared from the last episode of, about just feeling like, um, being up here is really what the Lord is asking me to do right now. And it's helped, especially during this, this tough time in the church. And as I talked to him, I, I, uh, I guess what I was explaining was that the same person, Jesus, 
who is in charge of his church, who promised to be with us always and to send us his Holy Spirit, the advocate that would guide and lead the, the church, the body of Christ, that the reason I feel like studying and reading a theology book with all my heart, mind, and soul and writing with it as best as I possibly can is somehow helping the like the problem, the quote-unquote problem, and trying to um, hopefully be a part of the sanctifying grace of the church for the world, that like it seems disconnected that me in my room reading um, isn't really doing much for the church, but that it's not so much about the what I'm doing, but it's about the who I'm listening to. And so the same person who is guiding the church is the same person who's with me and telling me to read and to study. And it's like not in doing anything. And am I going to help bring about the kingdom of God except for listening to Christ? And the same guy who's leading the church is the same guy who's telling me in prayer and obedience to my bishop that this is exactly where he wants me. And although it does seem like not even connected really to the mission of the church, and like being out there and boots on the ground and talking to victims and hearing confessions or celebrating mass. And like, I don't really, I don't get to do any of that. I just sit in my room, but because I am in relationship with Christ and he is asking me to do this, like that's really the grace. And because I know it's the same guy who is leading and guiding the church, then I know in some way that I am actually a part of the body because I'm connected to Christ um, and it's, it just took on this whole new shape of like, okay, what we're called to is obedience to the church, which is why I think like, Rob, your experience in Edwardsville is exactly what the Lord wants. It, it's a different time and place. Like Chicago, the church here is in a different time and place and lifespan in its life right now. But like, we're all part of the, we're all connected to Christ. And that is the, that is the thing. And so Connor, you're in the city and things are tough there, but you're being obedient to Christ. And Rob, you're at this, it's a super cool parish. I, I loved visiting. It's very beautiful. And folks, yeah, they, it seems to be growing. Um, and like, but Christ is the one who has brought you there. That's, that's why, which is really the, the connector and the reason why all of that is a part of, yeah, this bigger body. Um, yeah, and I, but I think that's the ecclesiology of it. I, I think that you're right, and Rob, I don't know how, how you diagnose the ecclesiology thing, but I think that is what you're talking about, Connor, um, is, is that it is, like, how is, the, how is the body of Christ dealing with this? And it, I guess it looks like a bunch of different things all at once, and I'm okay with that because, well, one, because of personal experience of here, like, I'm, I haven't wept. I've been very mad about it, but I haven't shed any tears. I have been sad, but I haven't talked to any victims of this. But I also feel like I'm doing exactly what the Lord is asking me to do. And I'm angry, but I'm okay w- uh, with that. And I'm sad, but I'm also okay with that because like, that's where you have the hope. That's where the real hope is, is in Christ, that he is the one who is, is leading and guiding. Um. Yeah, Rob, how did you, I know that was just kind of rambling, but how did you identify when Connor was talking about that this was an ecclesiological thing? What what cued your mind to that? 
Um, I don't know. It just popped in. I mean, thank you. That was I think that was really good. That's what you just said. Anyway, that was really good. Um, but it was. I think it was just exactly that of maybe realizing like, and maybe that was exactly it, realizing that like okay, uh, like. He, Connor's like kind of lived experience of a priest being a priest right now is like extremely similar to me in some ways, right? Because he's trying to say the mass well and trying to preach well and hear confessions and be both merciful, but also like, like maybe shed some wisdom to people and like just be a good spiritual father. True. But like the circumstances around us are just like very, very different. We live in like, again, kind of depending on like what criteria you're looking at, like different cultures and different like local churches, um, et cetera. And so like, it just looks different. And yet he's talking about like the exact thing that like I am attached to, like literally like a part of as the body of Christ, the church. And so it's like, well, that's an ecclesiology. Like that's what you're talking about is, is studying what the church is both how I understand it like universally but also then locally you know even down to like the family then you could talk about it in the context of like my gosh think about the different experiences of like the domestic church in different families through any type of sin but especially this stuff you know ones that have been directly affected by it versus not directly affected by it and like does that sin have implications and and impact every single member of the body of Christ Yes, it does. But exactly what you're saying, Mike, is like faithfulness and fidelity to what the Lord is calling you to do in very small things, like if it's write a paper or whatever, like fidelity to that also then, at least from my belief about like, again, maybe what I would call ecclesiology. I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but like that also impacts every single member of the body of Christ. And that's fluffy and kind of abstract in the lived experience for someone that has dealt with like just vile sin and abuse or anything else. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's hard to just talk around all that stuff unless you kind of name like the context in which it's coming from. Hmm. Does that make sense? That's what I, I guess that's maybe where it cued. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It is. It's kind of a mystery where, it's a scandal of particularity that I was raised here or that you were raised there or that any of us are contemporary that, you know, we're friends and that we were in the seminary at the same time and that we were born more or less in the same era. It could have been born anywhere at any time or not been born at all. Uh, but God has this plan, we assume, that he's putting you here for this specific time, for this specific place and you know, I think that it could be, you know, that I was, that I would have had the vocation to be sent overseas or to some other country to evangelize the, uh, the unchurched or the unbaptized. But, you know, the whole John Paul II call to the new evangelization where it's, uh, it's not maintenance and pastoral, pastoral care of a church that's already thriving, nor is it the building of a church that doesn't yet exist. It's the, uh, it's the church that had been thriving and now is dying, like trying to 
evangelize anew these people who think they know Christ and the church, but they haven't experienced what I've experienced. And, uh, that's definitely feels like the reality in Chicago. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's like being a patriot, you know, loving your country, not because it's the best country, but because it's your country. It's like, I love this city. I love this archdiocese. I love this Newman center. I love, I loved my parish because it was my parish and they were my people, you know, and I wanted to, I wanted them to be happy and they for their families to be whole and for their children to learn who God was and to love him and to be loved by him. Uh, but why those people, why that parish simply because I was sent there, you know, mm-hmm. and that's why you feel the pain of when, the gospel is not preached in a compelling way when the church is ugly and nobody wants to go there to get married or go to mass on Sunday because it's just uninspiring. And why, why these things hurt me is because this is my home. This is the church. This is my church. Uh, and I want it to be good. And I want it to be beautiful and I want it to draw people into the mystery that is the the essence of it all, the reason it exists in the first place. And I'm not pretending like I have all the answers or I'm so smart I can figure out how to fix it or even diagnose it or or that I'm even right about any of this stuff. Um, but I guess you get up and you do your job today. That's what it is. And then God God reveals when he feels like it, when he knows it to be the best. Like here, here's some glimpses of what I'm doing, you know, and you have confidence in that and you keep going. Yeah. And can I ask, like, just to go, you said something that intrigued me like way earlier about, and it's true, like just the sense of like, we haven't cried enough over this, the scandal stuff. And it's like, is that what you mean by that is like kind of fidelity in the small things or like again, Yeah. That's what it, maybe I kind of didn't get It's like, we haven't cried enough over it. And I like think that's true. I just want to know more what you meant by it. Um, I think that, well, I know that one of the marks of the church is its holiness. That's one of the four marks. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's how, that's how God signals to people that it's the true church is that it makes saints and that it's holy. Um, and I feel like a lot of times I look around and I don't see a lot of holiness in the church. You know, like I think to myself, if you, if you were, if you were on the outside looking in from some other religion or no religion at all, would you go to your average parish and say like, wow, these are really holy people. You know, I want what they have. I want to live my life like that. Or the church as a whole. Um, I feel like that we have given that up. And And part of holiness is being holy about the other. That's the whole Jean, what was that, Wellspring of Worship, Jean Carbone. The idea of holiness is God's otherness, that he's three in one and that 
completely pours himself out for the other. That's what a saint does. Their whole life is not about them. It's about the other. And I feel like the church comes off, feels like it's all about itself. You know, most of what we talk about is this inner politics crap and fight with our, fight with each other about where the furniture should be. And, um, and meanwhile, Christ is out there suffering and dying. And, uh, I don't know that we're paying that much attention to him. You know what I mean? Or that I am. And that's, I just think just these abuse victims are a very poignant example that, uh, you know, for all, for a generation or more, there were priests for whom it made perfect sense to shuffle away victims and quiet them and move the predators around so as to avoid notice in order to protect the image of the institution of the church. And those people who suffered because of that were innocent children and their suffering was unimaginable. And that to me is so antithetical. It's the Antichrist. It's the opposite of holiness. And in order to balance that debit, there must be wailing and gnashing of teeth. You know what I mean? That's what I mean by the crying thing. That there's just no excuse not to be, not to be, take with utter seriousness the call to being holy priests and to being a holy church. Regardless of the, regardless of the uh, result, you know, even if it makes us look even more ridiculous and more irrelevant, or if we are accused even more of hypocrisy, like we, you and God know, uh, about your integrity and whether you're, whether you are who you say you are or claim to be. And all of us, I mean, you can never forget the mercy part of this, that God does look on his bride who is stained with sin and see what she could be and will wash her in the blood of the lamb in the last day. And, and we live, we'll live in the heavenly Jerusalem where there is no more sin. But in the meantime, uh, that's simply the case now, I think. Does that make any more sense or does that just obscure it even more? No, I appreciate it, dude. I gotta, I mean, I'm going to take that and I'm like very for real, like pray with it and think on it and, you know, try to process it some too, but I guess it's still like, it, it seemed like you said there, like the wailing and gnashing teeth, like the crying over it is like, like right after you said like, okay, that's in a sense like the seriousness that we need to take like holiness in, which I'm in for that. And I guess like lived out, it's like that has to be lived out in concrete, like circumstances that are right in in front of you. Um, so that's kind of like my the only, and I don't want to, I don't want to like just keep pressing this, but I am just trying to process it myself. But like when you say like wailing and gnashing of teeth and like crying over this and lamenting it, which again, I'm all in for, but like, what is that exactly? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm asking. Maybe 
or they're like, what, and maybe that's like, maybe I just missed it and what you're trying to say. Um, well, I think that it's, it's probably in the secret of the human heart. It's not something like the more you try to show that, the more it rings false. I think you still have to be a priest who plays ping pong and has fun and is relatable and is not walking around with a dour look on his face and ashes on his head all day. But it's something that's that's deeply felt on an inward level. You know, like think of all the confessions you've heard and all the all the people's pain that you've absorbed through listening. You carry that with you. You know, the people that you've anointed and buried and all that, that's part of the priesthood. It doesn't mean that you're sad all the time. It just means that you are Christ to these people and you carry that you carry their burdens with them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. So I'm not I'm not calling for like a big showy grand gesture on any of our part. I'm just saying um Yeah, I'm this is not a PR thing. Even though we've we've been terrible at PR. This is a uh, <laughs> this is a spiritual thing. I think. Yeah, and if I I don't want to put words into your mouth, but if I can also um I guess maybe is this also what part of the part of your frustration is is oftentimes you see the church reacting for itself instead yeah. of for for the victims and so it's like oh well i need to say this thing in support of the victims because i know that i need exactly. to exactly yep kind of a deal instead of lip just service out of a out of a downright yeah a downright sadness and a downright uh despite just de- despising the sin that's present there um, is it, is that part of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, can I, did you preach yesterday? For Our Lady of Sorrows? Yeah. No, there's no Saturday Mass here. Oh, okay. Why? Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask what you preached on to see if praying with her was, did anything for you. Nope. Yeah. Well, bro, dudes, anything There's else? There's that. What's that? Anything else? Um, no, that was pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so. You? No, I'm good. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisc, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.